0: Hey, good morning, and uh, welcome to River Glen. Good to see you here. And uh, how's everybody doing? You in a good mood? Good mood today? Happy to be here on Father's Day? I am, yeah. Uh, Big shout out to all the dads, granddads, just all the men. Hope you have a great uh, Father's Day, and thanks for being here with us. Well, a few months ago, we uh, began a survey, we began circulating a survey, and we said, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask Him? Or if you could have any question... Uh, addressed from the Bible, what question would you want to have addressed? And we received hundreds and hundreds of questions and a couple weekends we began answering them. The first weekend we answered a difficult question about suicide. And then last weekend, uh, Andy Averill did a great job answering questions about uh, uh, heaven. And if you missed uh, any of these weeks, you can go to our website or download our app, and you can uh, watch those talks. We hope this is helpful uh, for you. Scripture tells us to ask for wisdom, and that's what this is uh, about. Now, today is going to feel a lot uh, different, okay, Uh, because I am going to try and answer three questions. Totally unrelated questions that many of you asked about, but they probably don't need an entire message, which is often how Jesus would teach. Somebody would toss out a question, and he would respond. Somebody would toss out another question, and he would respond. So we got a lot of ground to cover, and uh, let's just go ahead and dive uh, right in to the first question. Many people ask questions about politics, uh, like this question here: How can Jesus help us bridge the political divide? In our, in our country? That's a, that's a great question, isn't it? I mean, there is a little political divide, a little bit of a political divide. Wouldn't you agree? In our country? We saw it this past week. There was a, a shooting. You probably heard about it if you watched the news. Shooting in Virginia, apparently motivated by political disagreement. And uh, it's, it's important for us to talk about this. I don't know about you, but this seems like the most contentious political season that I, don't, I know I've ever witnessed in, in my life. Show of hands on something. How many of you, uh, show of hands. How many of you in one way or another in, over this past year, uh, politics has created heart, some heartburn in you. Show of hands on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Okay, here's another one. Um, you know, anybody, uh, how many of you have uh, unfriended or unfollowed somebody on social media because of political posts? Show of hands. Yeah, okay, quite a few. Um, how many of you are just uncomfortable and hate talking about politics? It's just not your thing. Okay. Um, uh, how many of you, uh, you're the one that likes to stir the pot and bring the subject up. All right. Greg, you're raising your hand for <laughs> all of these. Um, how many didn't know that we had a presidential election last November? Anybody? Oh okay. yeah. Well, maybe you saw this in the, in the uh, newspaper, this is, this is legit, this was in the uh, county newspaper in Virginia, had the name of the deceased, 68-year-old Mary Nolan, and uh, here's what it said underneath. Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Mary Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass from this world into the eternal love of God on Sunday, May 15, 2016, at the age of 68. Come on, that's funny, no matter what party uh, you belong uh, to. So let me just set your mind at ease for those of you that are worried about, you know, where we're going to go today uh, with this subject. I have never endorsed a a candidate or a party. River Glen has never endorsed uh, a candidate or uh, a political party. We don't pass out voter guides around here. Not because we're afraid to step into difficult issues. Scripture gives us moral clarity on some areas in our lives. And we will speak lovingly but truthful To issues, but I want you to have confidence that you can walk in here each weekend and know that this is a politics free zone because nobody knows with certainty who Jesus would vote for. Now, I'll tell you, there are people who want to make you think they know exactly who Jesus would vote for and which party Jesus would uh, belong to. Some people say that Jesus was always right. And God is always right, and since they're always right, then they must lean to the right, and they must be uh, Republicans. And uh, other people go, no, no, no. You know, when Jesus uh, rode into uh, Jerusalem, he was on a donkey. And the donkey is the symbol of the uh, Democratic uh, Party. Others say, no, no, no. It says that Jesus, uh, that he ate dinner with publicans and, and, and sinners. And publicans sounds a lot like Republicans, and so... That tells us where he must have uh, landed. And then other people go, no, no, no. Jesus was a health care dispensing machine. He was always dispensing free health care to anybody who uh, needed it. So he was obviously a, a Democrat. But I'll tell you what, I learned a long time ago that equally sincere followers of Jesus attempting to follow God's word can have sincere disagreements over how those convictions best get expressed in the voting booth and in public policy. Uh, one time, uh, some people brought their, their political disagreement uh, to Jesus and they asked him a question. They said, is it right, Jesus, is it right for Jewish people to pay taxes to the Roman Empire? And the Jewish people hoped that Jesus would say, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar because he's, he's evil. Don't support such a corrupt political system. And the Romans hoped, on the other hand, that he would say, yeah, you should pay your taxes to to Caesar. But here's how Jesus responded to this difficult political question. He asked somebody to pull out a coin. And he said, whose picture is on the coin? And they said, well, Caesar's picture is on the coin. And look at what Jesus said. It's in Matthew chapter 22. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. In other words, Jesus makes a very important point for his followers. He says, you belong to two kingdoms. There's a kingdom on earth that you belong to, but there's also a spiritual kingdom you belong to, and you're citizens of both. And so you have spiritual responsibilities to God, but you also have civic responsibilities to the country or the government that you're a part of. And so if you're an American and you're eligible to vote, I would say that you have a civic responsibility and really an incredible privilege that uh, many people in our world don't have to vote And I would encourage you, if you follow Jesus, when you have the opportunity, you get on your knees and prayerfully discern what you think, what you believe are the biggest issues and you pray for wisdom and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in how you vote. But having said that, today I want to challenge you in two ways that I think will help bridge the divide, the political divide in our country. First of all, I want to challenge you to put faith over politics. Put faith over politics. Here's what I mean. Be a follower of Jesus first and a Republican second. Be a follower of Jesus first and a Democrat second. Be a follower of Jesus first and an independent or a Green Party or Libertarian or Librarian or whatever you are second. Place your political views below your faith and Christian values if for no other reason because when you die, your political persuasion will be irrelevant. I've been called to the bedside of uh, many people in their final moments, their final hours, sometimes in their final breaths, and never once in all those conversations that I've had with people in their final moments have they said to me, "Ben, would you read to me just a portion of the Constitution one more time, you know, before I, before I have to go?" Never had that happen. I mean, because we instinctively know that faith is more important than politics. Let me give you a second challenge. And this one might be a little bit more convicting for some of us. Put people over your politics. Put people over your politics. Because Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God. And then he said the second greatest command is to love your neighbor. To love other, other people. Imagine if everybody in America decided to do that. Imagine if everybody in America decided to make it a priority to love other people between now and the next election. Can you imagine what would happen? The the laws I mean that we have would be unnecessary and irrelevant. The nation would feel so different. There would be no violence, no murder, no sexual assault, no bullying in schools, no racism. No hunger in, in communities. Marriages would be restored. Families would be unified. It would be a powerful game changer if we just practiced this teaching and loved our neighbor as ourselves. But here's what we have going on. We have sincere believers in Jesus. We have believers in Jesus who have sincere different points of view, attacking each other and fighting each other and squabbling with each other. They become so adversarial and militant in their support of a particular leader or a particular party. And they're willing to endanger a relationship with someone who disagrees with them, sometimes even within their own family. But Jesus said, this is how everyone will recognize that you are my follower. They'll see what? They will see the love that you have for each other. Jesus even prayed that his followers would be one. So don't let Satan divide you from the rest of God's family over your political opinions because ultimately your opinion, my opinion doesn't matter. I'll tell you what matters, your vote matters. And if we mock other people on social media because of their political convictions, I think that grieves the Holy Spirit. Just this past week I scrolled through social media to see what people were talking about and I came across a post Written by a a friend, someone I know who follows Jesus. And this person is still arguing and debating a past election. And here's the gist of his post. How could anyone be so stupid to vote for blank? And you can imagine the response to his post. Everything from, you know, right on brother to name calling. But, But here's what I didn't see. I didn't see anybody respond and convert to his side. I didn't read one response that said, you're exactly right. I am going to change my political position uh, because of your post. Didn't happen. But worse than that, think about this. He may have burned a bridge of influence with someone that he could have possibly helped later on. Let me ask you, should we have political opinions? Uh, Yes. Should we argue our point? Yes, when appropriate and appropriately. Should we make a point at the expense of influence? No. And here's why. Because as followers of Jesus, we've been invited to influence people where eternity is at stake. We've been invited to partner with God and bring good news and restoration and healing into the lives of people through our influence. And so I want to challenge you, don't do something or say something that's going to sacrifice your influence later on. How tragic if after an election that guy that you work with That person who lives down the street from you has a need, but they can't or they won't reach out to you or come in your direction because they would never ask you for help because you lost your influence with them by something that you said or you posted in the heat of the moment, in the heat of an election. Let's practice these words the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so let's put, let's put people over politics because Republican, Democrat, Jesus loves everyone. And uh, so should we. All right, you glad we're done with that question? <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. And uh, totally un- unrelated, uh, uh, several people asked uh, this question about uh, dinosaurs. Yeah, where are dinosaurs? In the uh, Bible, it's interesting to me. I, uh, as I studied this, I never—I guess I never thought about this: how people of all ages have a fascination with dinosaurs. Yeah, when kids are little, you know, got uh, you know Barney. My kids loved Barney when they were when they were little. Barney the dinosaur. Anybody remember the name of the uh, yellow uh, BJ? Anybody remember the name of the green baby? Bob. very good, very good. See, and then as we get older, you know, we we watch movies like uh, Jurassic uh, uh, World. Uh, show of hands, how many of you saw one of the Jurassic movies, Jurassic Park? Oh, yeah. yeah they're very popular. And they feed our fascination uh, with dinosaurs. This word dinosaur originated in 1841 when they uh, discovered uh, fossils of dinosaurs. The word dinosaur means terrible lizard. Now, when people ask the question about dinosaurs in the Bible, whether they know it or not, they're, ask- they're actually asking about a much broader subject. They're asking about the the, the creation of the earth. They're asking about the age of the earth. And these questions matter. That's why the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I heard one time, if you believe these first 10 words of the Bible, you won't have any trouble believing the rest of it. Because if God created the heavens and the earth, surely he can part the Red Sea. If God created, you know, the earth and everything in the, in the universe, surely he can bring Jesus back from the dead. The Bible says here's how it all began. God created the heavens and the earth. But when it comes to the question of dinosaurs, people of faith, people who follow Jesus have two different views. It depends on what you believe about the age of the earth, whether you believe in the young earth view Or the old earth view. Let me explain. Young earthers hold to the view that when uh, Genesis chapter one says that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, that refers to six literal 24 hour periods. And so when you look at the uh, genealogies in Genesis and you do the math, you determine that the earth is between six and 10,000 years old. This is the belief of young earthers. They believe that God created dinosaurs. And dinosaurs walked on this earth with human beings at the same time. But then dinosaurs disappeared from the face of the earth uh, during the flood. Sometime uh, It it occurred in Genesis chapter chapter 6. Some people who hold this view believe that when scripture refers to Leviathan or Behemoth in the uh, book of Job, that's referring to dinosaurs. That's the young earth view. The old earth view believes that the earth is much older, millions or billions of years old. And people who hold to this view believe that when Scripture refers to six days of creation, it's not referring to six 24-hour periods, because with God, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day, but it's referring to six eras, six long periods of time. So old earthers believe that dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. And let me say, there are smart, thoughtful, sincere, godly, Bible-believing people who have different points of view about this. You know, for example, Dr. Ken Ham, who founded the New Ark Encounter in Kentucky, holds a young earth view. C.S. Lewis, a famous theologian, maybe some of you have read his book, he held an old earth point of view. I believe there is room... In the family of God, for us to love and respect each other, who have different points of view when it comes to the age of the uh, earth. Now, if you want to read more about this, we want to do some further study, I printed off an article uh, written by J. Warner Wallace, who was actually here just a few weeks ago. He spoke in our weekend services. He wrote an excellent article about this. And copies are available at the Welcome Center. You can pick one of those up on your way out. Jim Wallace says, I try not to get obsessed with either view because they both give reasonable explanations. He says, we'll have to wait until heaven to find out. And I think Jim makes a good point because this issue is not the cornerstone of the Christian faith. The belief that Jesus Christ became a man, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross, that he was buried in a tomb. And that he came back to life. That's the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And when you die one day, you're, gonna, you're not going to stand before God. And he's not going to ask you, so were you a young earther or an old earther? He's not going to ask you, when do you believe dinosaurs roamed the earth? But he will ask you, what did you believe about Jesus? And so at River Glen, we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus, okay? All right, you up for one more? Question? All right, let's go for it. Totally different subject that uh, many of you asked about. And uh, here's how I worded it. How is it that God the Father plus God the Son plus God the Holy Spirit can equal one God? Yeah. Thanks for asking that one. This is a real easy, uh, <laughs> easy one. Uh, this question has to do with a mystery that is often called the Trinity. And uh, no matter you know, where you're at spiritually, whatever your background, you've probably heard of the Trinity at some point. Maybe you attended a baptism and you, you witnessed somebody get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some of you maybe grew up in a church and you remember an old hymn called Holy, Holy, Holy. I remember this as a kid that would say, God in three persons. Help me out. Blessed, Blessed Trinity. Trinity. Great. Three of us knew that. Great. Great. Um, let me show you a couple of scriptures on this. This comes from Genesis. This, this comes from Genesis uh, chapter one. And uh, it's, it's real easy to miss this. It's, it's kind of subtle. But if you look at this, there is a change in the language. God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Notice it starts out singular. God said, right? But it doesn't continue singular. It doesn't say, Let me make mankind in my image, in, in my likeness. No, it goes from singular. To plural. There's a change in the language. And then later on, after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, after they got the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says in Genesis chapter three, and the Lord God, singular, if we can go to the next screen, and the Lord God, singular, I inserted that in, said, the man has, has now become like one of us. Plural. Notice the plural here. One of the first things that we learn about God in the beginning of the Bible is that God is both singular and plural. Yeah, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, Jesus is referred to as the Word. It says the Word was with God and the Word was God. In John chapter 14, Jesus talks about how God will send the Holy Spirit to live with us. At the baptism of Jesus, the sky parts, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The voice of the Father says, This is my Son, with him. I am well pleased. We see all three members of the Trinity at the baptism of Jesus. So God is singular and God is plural. He's one God, but in three persons. The Bible teaches very clearly that the Heavenly Father is God, Jesus the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and there is one God. Now I believe that, but I can't get my mind all the way around, all the way around that. Now I've heard people try to explain the Trinity and in different ways, using different analogies, you know, like an apple. People say Jesus is the core, you know, the Holy Spirit's the meat. And the Father is the peeling that holds it all together. I've also heard people compare the Trinity to water. You know how water can be ice, it can be liquid, it can be, it can be steam. I've even heard people compare the Trinity to uh, Neapolitan ice cream. And, you know, the Father's strawberry, the Son's vanilla, the uh, Spirit is chocolate. And they just all kind of melt together, you know, in one bowl of of ice cream. And I think these are helpful, but I don't think I wanna reduce the Almighty God to a bowl of, of ice cream. Uh, I don't think we're ever gonna get our mind fully around the essence of the Trinity. Not on this side of the grave, not on this side of heaven. God is too big, God's too deep, God is too wide. But maybe the best picture for us of the Trinity is a triangle. This allows some separation. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the the Father. And it allows each of them to have different roles and responsibilities. For example, the Father wants to guide your life. The Father wants to lead your life. And we pray to the Father in the name of... Of Jesus, because the Son stands with us as our advocate to the Father, and the Spirit wants to transform your life. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna begin a new series, and we are gonna talk about the nine qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. But let's face it, the God of the universe is greater than we can imagine. Nobody can explain the totality of God. He is just more awesome than anything you or I could ever uh, imagine. I don't don't really understand, fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. And I'll tell you something else I don't understand. I don't understand why God is so interested in me. You see, many of us have, have viewed believing in God or following Jesus as this response where we invite God into our life. And to an extent, that's true. You know, we we ask Jesus to become the leader and the forgiver of our life. We invite him into our life. But this is so much bigger than that. Here's the reality. God invites you to live in his identity. God invites you to live in the Trinity. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 for all of us, for all who would believe in him. He says this, Father, may all of them be one. Just as you are, you and I, just as you are in me and I am in you. And here's the part I want you to catch. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may know that you sent me. Notice God invites you to be in us. That's a, that's a different, different thought, isn't it? About a year and a half ago, my wife and I, and a group from River Glen went on a trip to tour uh, the Holy Land. And we were just all really excited about it. They gave us a brochure. I actually saved. Or no, here, here's the brochure. They, I saved this. I don't know if you can see it. It's kind of small. We I saved this brochure. There's several pictures of the different locations that you visit when you tour the Holy Land. We just poured over this. We looked at these pictures. But I'm telling you, pictures do not do justice. Uh, no picture prepares you for what you experience when you tour the the Holy Land, when you take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, when you walk up the steps that Jesus walked into the temple in Jerusalem, when you walk the path Jesus walked to to the cross, the brochure didn't do it justice. And here's the reality about God. Many of us, we have a brochure view of God. We have a small view of God for instance, some of us are having issues at home. We're struggling in, in relationships. There's tension in, in our homes. Maybe there's, maybe there's some tension in our relationship with our kids. And maybe somebody suggests to you, have you prayed about that? And you think to yourself, well, what good would that do? And the reason we think that way is because we only have a brochure view of God. We haven't seen the real thing. Or some of us say, you know, we don't believe in God, but we've never really examined the, res- the evidence. We-, we just assume that, that there's, there's no God. He doesn't exist. Or at best, he got things rolling, and then he stepped back and he just lets it run on its own. He's not really involved in our everyday lives. And we believe that way because we have a brochure view of God. We haven't seen the real thing. But God is so big and interested in you and me that he invites us to live in his identity. He invites us to live in in the Trinity. And here's what happens. God the Father will lead your life and the Son will forgive you and the Holy Spirit will transform you. Think about this. It's like you've got this holy team of specialists surrounding you and helping you to become the person that God created you to be. That's what happens when a person decides to get baptized. If you have a brochure view of God, you view baptism as a ceremony. You come in dry and you leave wet. But a big and real view of God sees it as being submerged into the Trinity, plunged into the identity of God where you've got the leading of the Father and the forgiveness of the Son and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens every time we gather together in this room. And we sing and we worship. But if you have a brochure view of God, you critique the service, the music, the volume, the message. And maybe you walk out saying, well, that didn't really do much for me. But a real, real and big view of God sees that God has invited you into the center of his identity. He's invited you to live in the Trinity. And, and we're expressing our allegiance to the Father and our gratitude to the Son and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens. When you take communion, if you just have a brochure view of God, you're going to look at communion as a ritual or maybe a snack. But a big and real view of God sees communion as me accepting the sacrifice of Jesus all over again and asking God to lead me and the Holy Spirit to transform me. That's why we call this gathering every weekend a celebration. Because if you are in God, you're never alone. You are surrounded 24-7. So which do you want, a brochure view of God or do you want to experience the triune God? Maybe some of us are are, are missing out, you know, maybe maybe you're praying and asking God to lead you but you don't realize Jesus wants to walk with you and the Holy Spirit wants to transform you. Or maybe you believe Jesus is your friend but you don't realize God's got a plan for your life and the Holy Spirit wants to equip you for that plan. Life would be so different if we would just live in the Trinity rather than try to fit God into our life. And you can make that decision to live in the Trinity today. I want to ask you if you would to stand with me for a moment and let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to declare our belief in the God who invites us into the center of his identity. And What a great time to make this declaration on Father's Day. We're going to sing and worship through a song that says, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God who is three in one. And we're expressing our allegiance to the Father, our gratitude to Jesus. And we're allowing the Spirit to transform and unite us. And that's really my goal today as we talked about these three different questions to. Not just answer these questions, but to grow and strengthen our unity as followers of Jesus. To strengthen our unity as a church. Jesus, Because Jesus prayed for us to be one. So that the world would know that God sent him. But maybe you've never really given yourself fully to God. Maybe you've never given yourself to God where he surrounds you. This song is really an opportunity for you to say yes to God the Father to guide you. And Jesus to forgive you. And the spirit to transform you. Let me pray for us and and then we'll sing together. God, I thank you for a church that's not afraid to ask and wrestle with tough questions. And I pray that as we live in this season of political tension and divide in our country, that you will empower us to love each other. And that we will not allow the politics of destruction to be true of us. May people know that we are your followers by our love for each other. May we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. God, thank you for this amazing world and the incredible, amazing creativity. And every creature, including dinosaurs, and what every creature tells us about you as a great creative God. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I thank you for allowing us to step into your identity today. To walk in a new direction. Receive our praise now, God. Receive our worship. For there is no other God like you. And in your fullness as as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you now. And we lift our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I believe in God, our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God. Three in one, I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus.
0: Here's what I want to ask you to do go live in your identity. Go live in the Trinity this week, this team of holy specialists that want to surround you and help you become the person that God created you to be. And if you've never put yourself in there, I hope that you will open yourself up to that possibility and take a step in God's direction. I also want to say a word about next weekend. Next weekend we're going to wrap up this series based on these questions that you've submitted. And we're going to talk about the number one question, why Is there pain and suffering and evil in our world? That's the question that you uh, wanted to have addressed. And so I'm going to dive into it. And I'll address that next weekend. But what I find is that when people ask that question, typically they're not really talking about events out there. But uh, they're talking about something that has become very personal and very real. And so we're going to look at it through that lens weekend. Now, I know this is what keeps Uh, many people from embracing faith and following Jesus. And this has probably been an issue for some people that you know. Uh, This question, if God is loving, why does he allow pain and suffering and evil? And so I hope that you will be bold and courageous in your invitations and reach out to people that you know that have uh, dealt with pain in their life and invite them to be here next weekend. And I hope that uh, you'll be here as, as, as well. And I hope today that uh, you'll hang out in the lobby and enjoy the food and the uh, Father's Day uh, celebration that we have out there. Uh, God bless you. We love you. And uh, have a great week. And we'll see you next weekend.